Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College online journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Greetings, everyone, from Carlisle, Pennsylvania. I'm Jacqueline Witt, Professor of Strategy at the Army War College, and I'm here today with Dr. Paul Kahn, Professor of National Security Studies here at the War College. At the Army War College, in addition to discussing and analyzing issues of contemporary significance, we also think we place a high value on important historical and theoretical works about war and strategy. And we like to think and talk about how they speak to contemporary strategists. So these are authors and texts that inform the way we think about and teach war, strategy, and national security. So with that in mind, this podcast will be part of an occasional series on the great theorists of war and strategy. Today, Dr. Khan is here to talk with us about Sun Tzu, the ancient Chinese author of the text, The Art of War. So I'll start off with an easy question, Paul. Okay. Hi, Jackie. So this is Paul. What do we need to know about the author Sun Tzu and the text that he wrote? And we're most familiar hmm. with The Art of War. Right. Um, thanks, Jackie. The Art of War and Sun Tzu's Bing Fa. Bing Fa is actually the, the title of The Art of War. Bing Fa loosely translates into military methods. And The Art of War, we think, was actually the title given to Sun Tzu's work by a, uh, a French Jesuit priest in the 1700s. Uh, so what we need to know about Sun Tzu's work and, and Sun Tzu as a person is that we actually don't know very much about Sun Tzu as a person. Um, we think we know that this individual lived in the Eastern Zhou Dynasty, which is actually divided up between the Spring and Autumn periods and the Warring States periods, so about uh, 700 B.C. through 200 B.C., which is a rather large period of time to figure out when somebody, somebody lived. But within those two periods, um, whether he lived in the spring and autumn period or in the Warring States period, it was a particularly violent period in Chinese history where there were different changes in warfare occurring at the same time that there were changes in um, Chinese society, as we can kind of call it Chinese society at the time. There were various kingdoms. There was a revolution in the agriculture that allowed cities to rise. And with cities, you had greater populations. And with greater populations, you had the ability to raise larger armies, so warfare became bloodier as well as longer. So this is really the environment in which we think the individual Sun Tzu was writing. So that's the sort of environment that's similar to some of the state building and war making that's going on in Europe, but much, much later. Right. Is that reasonable? I think that's reasonable, and it's it probably had the same, I would suggest, the same intensity as warfare in the Middle Ages. And Sun Tzu was around if he was an individual. We, we think there probably was a person, but not sure when that person was. Um, when there are some other individuals in Chinese culture that uh, still have uh, an impact today. So Lao Tzu, the founder of Taoism and, and Confucius. So these are folks that were trying to come to grips with what to do in such a violent environment, whether it's to be more in harmony with nature and to build more peaceful way of living with each other, so Lao Tzu, or whether it was to kind of reestablish this old feudal order that existed before the Eastern Zhou Dynasty, where you had this sort of sovereign to rule down to elder to child. So that's more kind of the Confucian tradition. 
Uh, whereas you have Sun Tzu saying, well, this is kind of the environment in which we live. It's bloodier. It's more warlike. So we probably can't be more peaceful. And we probably can't reestablish the old order. So maybe we can just make warfare less bloody and have it end more quickly. So it's important to remember that Sun is writing in a time and place where warfare is almost a constant. It's going on a lot. And he's not mm-hmm. the only person thinking about or writing about these but he is maybe the person that we know the best right. from the period. Right. I think when it comes to folks in, say, pr- professional military education or folks who study military strategy, then for sure Sun Tzu for, um, for China is, is the individual that kind of rises to the top, where Lao Tzu and Con- Confucian uh, traditions are more kind of within philosophy, if not, if not theology, if you're looking at that. Uh, and one thing we, we know, the, uh, folks who study... Asia or who are Asian historians or folks who have a degree in Asian studies don't necessarily look at, say, the classics of military strategy as they are developing their own disciplines. It's not necessarily something that is part and parcel of, of their curriculum or their training. Uh, so it is, it is actually a very narrow slice of, of a larger field. Okay, that's pretty interesting. So it also seems like when there were bookstores, back when there were bookstores, mm-hmm. you could go in and buy a copy. Right. right, of the art of war. Um, it's proliferated in the business world. Absolutely, yeah. Right, it's sort of everywhere. So why, why do you think it's become such a, a sort of touchstone for maybe contemporary thinking? Mm. Yeah, it's funny. You, as you said, you could go into any bookstore, and, and not only is there the art of war, but there are various ways it's applied. You know, you have the art of war for golfers, the art of war for poker players, the art of war for lovers. Um, so it's it's sort of widely uh, utilized in, in ways to just kind of sell, sell books. Um, I think it's because a lot of what Sun Tzu's writing about and I guess his style is more metaphorical. So even if he's talking about battle, even if he's talking about, say, uh, preservation of the state, you can use those in other ways. So if it's talking about preserving the state, you could also substitute state for business. So how do I use various principles of knowing myself and knowing another to preserve my business? Or if it's the art of war for lovers, how do I preserve the relationship? What am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? How much do I know about myself? How much do I know about my partner? So I think there are there are parables in there, but there are also kind of metaphors as well. Okay. what If we're going to pick up a copy of this book mm. and imagine that it's a strategist doing so, mm. what does he or she need to know before they start reading? Or can they just jump right in? They could just jump right in, and what they'll get are, are kind of the, the Pez dispenser bits of wisdom from, from Sansa, you know, strike like a thunderclap or the army act like water. Uh, and while those are interesting and, and sometimes important, the, the larger lesson, I, I would think, of, of the art of war is for Sansa, it's not about outfighting your opponent, it's about outwitting your opponent. So if you're able to use the art of war in a way that is metaphorical, how do you go about outwitting your opponent rather than outfighting your opponent? So not necessarily just using force and compellence, but how do you get your adversary to do what you want them to do? Okay, so that answers sort of a question about the central idea of the text. But what might be the greatest pitfall or 
is there a warning that you might give before people approach Sunza and the art of war? Yeah, I think the warning is not to read it too literally, as if that, that you can somehow divine the, the text by getting the most accurate translation. Uh, we have several different versions of the art of war over the centuries. Uh, we're not really sure which, the, which one is the original version of the art of war. The books in the Chinese period of time when we think Sun Tzu wrote the art of war were actually scrolls on bamboo strips. So these strips, of course, over time uh, deteriorate because of weather and the environment in which they're stored. And you had a lot of people, of course, who copied and recopied versions of the art of war uh, over time. So what we have now traditionally is what would be 13 chapters of the art of war. But there are secondary books that, when they reference the art of war, talk about having over 80 chapters, including nine different diagrams. We don't have that version anywhere, so it's interesting to see that there's some consistency with 13 chapters, but whatever happened to this other version? So if people were to try to read this too literally, I think they're, they're going to do themselves an intellectual disservice. I think that's good advice for many of the key yeah. texts that, we, that mm. we talk about. So my last, last question, and we'll wrap up, is for contemporary strategists, military leaders, policymakers, politicians, why should they care about what Sunza has to say? Um, I think for, for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons I mentioned, which is um, the outwitting versus outfighting, that you could actually be at war with somebody without a shot ever being fired, that that culture, that country could actually be um, acting to undermine you, but there isn't a kinetic type of action going on. So whether it's cyber or whether it's, um, you know, island building. So my second example would be, hey, China uses principles from the art of war in their contemporary efforts to build greater security for them in their region. So building islands in the South China Sea is essentially winning without firing a shot, which for Sunsa is the acme of excellence. Is They're not really using anything violent. They have, they're using their military to help construct and, and protect the islands, and they're putting, putting some military equipment on the islands, but they're not seizing them in a traditional sense. Um, so for folks who are adherents to this notion of the gray zone, gray zone conflict and gray zone warfare, then Sunsa might actually be, be useful in helping to understand that. Good. So there's some broad applicability mm-hmm. across say, what we would call the spectrum of violence or the spectrum of war and international politics just more more broadly. Yeah, and golf, apparently. And so, golf. Yeah. <laughs> so what more do you need to know? Right. It's a nice day outside. Maybe we'll go uh, hit the links. Yep, I'll bring my art of war with me. All right, thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Jackie. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the Department of the Army Department of Defense, or the U.S. government. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.